you know, just like that woman that was caught in adultery, most of you know the story, and they, she was brought before Jesus, just like it was portrayed. And all of us have been caught in our sin. You may not have committed adultery. You may not have been a drunkard or a drug addict. But all of us have been caught in our sin, yes. right? Yes. And that's a good thing. Yes. Some of us are, oh, my, my goodness, I've been caught in my sin. and I can't believe I, I've been caught. But it's a good thing that you've been caught in your sin so you could be redeemed. Yes. Last week we talked about Saul, King Saul, and, and the way he was caught in his sin. And Samuel the prophet confronted Saul, and Saul kind of, you know, he compromised and he rationalized and he basically lied to Samuel about what he had done, what he had not done. And, and he, he, the whole time he made a monument to himself. He was so full of pride, he was so arrogant. And, and Samuel was said, because of your disobedience, and not just his disobedience, but the way he reacted to being confronted with his sin. He said, your kingdom is going to be taken away from you. Now, it didn't happen for 25 years because in that 25-year process, God was refining David to become the next king. Okay? And so after 25 years, King David, you know the, the story, if you want to read about it, he, he, he soon he became the king. But in 1 Samuel chapter, I think it's 11 and 12, you can, or 2 Samuel, excuse me, 11 and 12, you can go back and read the story where King David also fell into sin. Just like King Saul, he fell into sin. It's called Bath, Bed, and Beyond. <laughs> he saw a woman bathing, took her to bed, and after that, beyond that, it was a mess. <laughs> that way you remember the story. He not only committed adultery, stealing somebody else's wife, he had her husband killed, basically. He committed murder, and he was lying, and he began to cover it all up. And then it was almost a year later that he had a prophet confront him. It wasn't Samuel. Samuel's probably thinking, man, I'm so glad God called somebody else to confront a king. But this was Nathan, and he confronted David. And David, he told him a parable, and David said, well, that man ought to be killed. You know, he ought to be destroyed, basically. And he said, well, that man's you, David. And his sin was found out. But he had such a different response than Saul did. That's why the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. See, he wasn't a perfect man. But he had a response to God. He had a response to the, the, the confrontation that God had with him through the prophet Nathan. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. You see, even with the dire consequences, and again, you can go back and read the story if you've never heard it before, Second Samuel uh, 11 and 12. Even with dire consequences of Bathsheba becoming pregnant and losing her child, you know what his response was? Worship the Lord. As soon as he found out that the child was dead, he said, okay. He washed himself, he anointed himself, and he went and he worshiped the Lord. You see what we, you know what we do? We pray and we pray and, and somebody gets healed and you'll, you'll see it on the text messages. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But when somebody gets sick or they die, we don't have to praise the Lord's hallelujahs, do we? But don't we praise him at all times? 
So we're, we're good to praise God when good things are happening. But when bad things are happening, do we forget to praise God? Listen, it says this in, in Psalm 34, 1. David says, I will bless the Lord. How often? At all times. Say at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. But see, our praise, our praise to him so as often is only in our mouth when things are going good. And he would tell you this morning, I want you to praise me in the storm. I want you to praise me when your marriage seems like it's falling apart. I want you to worship me when your finances aren't good. I want you to serve me no matter what. Quit waiting for that pie in the sky. Start worshiping him today. Worship him on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and yes, even Saturday. Worship the Lord continually. Praise be on our lips. So this morning we're looking at that one of those instrumental psalms. This is one of my favorite psalms. Uh, 23rd Psalm, of course, is incredible. But man, when you go to Psalm 51, this is a prayer of repentance because we're talking about restoration this morning. That's the R in worship is, is restoration. And all of our points are going to begin with R if you want to take, take notes. That way you can maybe remember it a little bit better. But Psalm 51, New King James, uh, this even at the heading of my Bible, which is uh, uh, the New King James, says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him and after he had gone into Bathsheba. And he really went into Bathsheba, right? In a bad way. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, David says. According to the multitude. Say multitude. The multitude of your tender mercies blot out my transgressions. You know why we need a multitude of tender mercies? Because we've committed a multitude of sins. A multitude. He says when you've committed one, you've committed all. That's a lot of sins. When Jesus died on the cross, people said, well, I guess the blood loss killed him. I don't know. Listen, it was all of our sins, the trillions of sins that were piled upon Jesus at the cross. The, the past sins, the present sins, the future sins, the ones that are still haven't even been committed yet were dumped on Jesus in one moment. He became sin. He never sinned, but he came, became sin for us. That's what killed him. He says this, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. You know what that means? My sin is always before me. That means how many of you, you've, you've sinned and you thought you got away with something. And yet, even though it was never, you never even confessed it to anybody. You never confessed it to God, but it was always right here. You never could shake it. That sin was always right there. Those images are right there. That thought is always right there until you get forgiven of it and you, you repent of it. It's always right there. And David says, my sin is always before me. It's like, Nathan, thank you for showing up, Nathan, because I couldn't do it anything. My, I couldn't be the king that I was supposed to be. I couldn't be that man of God. I couldn't be the worshiper I needed to be or wanted to be because my sin was always before me. You see, God, he can wipe that away from you this morning if you've got sin that's always before you. He says, against you, you only I have sinned. Now listen, he, he didn't mean that he didn't, he didn't wrong some things to Bathsheba and her husband. Uh, he's, he did not say that, but let's, ultimately all of our sin goes back to God. Everything that we do when we commit a sin, it's against God because it's against his commandments. Understand? So he said, against you I have sinned, only I, you I have sinned. And done this evil in your sight. He's calling his sin what it is. It was evil in God's sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. 
Now, there's a lot of thoughts on that verse, verse 5, and we're not, this is not what we're here for this morning. But I want to tell you, every one of us, the Bible says, has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. When Jesus said, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. Doom, 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 doom. Couldn't do it because all of them had sinned. So when he talks about being conceived in sin, we're not, his mother might have been, uh, had an, an affair. And we don't even know what that means except that we all have sin. Even from birth, we're sin because of the fallen man. Amen? So re- restoration, number one, begins with repentance. Say repentance. repentance. Oh, pastor, you preach on repentance every week. Well, that's because I want you to be free every week. And we need to learn to walk in repentance. You remember, that's not just doing the about face. That's changing the way you think. And that's Holy Spirit. Come in and change the way I think. Change the way I think. So aren't you glad God, when he, when he deals with us, he deals with us, as David asked, with loving kindness and tender mercies. Aren't you glad he deals with us that way? Aren't you glad you go through the throne room of grace and not the throne room of justice? Amen? Amen. He is a good God. But to receive that forgiveness, to begin that restoration process, we must be willing, listen to me, church, you must be willing to acknowledge your sin. Be sure your sins will find you out. You must be willing to acknowledge your sin. We, We like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is my mother's favorite passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge him. And what? He shall direct your paths. But so he says in all your ways acknowledge him. Even when you're not walking with God, you start needing to, if you start acknowledging him, even in the midst of your walking away from him in your backslidden state and you start to acknowledge him, things will change in your life a lot more quickly if you don't acknowledge him. So he says in all your ways acknowledge him. Again, we talk about, oh, well, I'll acknowledge him when things are going good. No, acknowledge him when things aren't going good. Say, God, you're, the, you're good, God, in the midst of this situation. And I promise you, because the way your words start, your life will follow your words. If you will begin acknowledging Jesus in every part of your life, you will see him work in every part of your life. And you will change, and you'll have a repentant heart. You'll have a mindset, a changed mindset if you do that. In all our ways, acknowledge him. Repentance, listen. And if you want to be restored to God, it starts with repentance. Psalm 51, 6, moving on. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. Oh, what's hyssop? Oh, that's right. They dipped that in the blood and put it on the doorpost in, in Egypt before they were set free when the death angel went over. He said, purge me. What does purge mean? Man, it means get clean everything it means get all the ugly out have you ever you know a purge is just getting everything out get it all out of you all out of your system all out of your heart all out of your soulless realm he says purge me purge me with hyssop and i shall be clean wash me and i shall be whiter than snow make me hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken listen god didn't break his bones but have you ever been so low when you've you've been so far from god that all of a sudden you're you're just crushed in your spirit that's what he's really talking about here. He says, it's like my bones have been broken, that my, my broken bones may rejoice. Hide your faith from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. The second R is reveal. God is gracious to reveal. Say reveal. See, reveal is part of the word revelation. When God he reveals things to us, he reveals our sin to us because he loves us. 
How many of you have been, how many of you have tinkered with some sin and you, you try to compromise and rationalize a certain sin? Well, I can do that. I, I, I'm just going to go to the edge. And, you know, I'm not going to go one more step because I know right there that means I'm falling off and backsliding. So I'm going to stay right here on the edge. Whew. And I, I can do this. This is okay, right, God? Because I'm, I'm not there. I'm not like, you know, so-and-so is. I'm up here. And we start comparing our, our sins and we think, well, my sin's not as bad as their sin. Listen, guys, you get into trouble you start doing that comparison thing, even with your sin life. And you start rationalizing and compromising. And, and David was saying, he says, I deserve, I want you to show me the inward part. How many of you have ever had a secret sin and you're like holding on to it? It's like, just me and me know this. Me, myself, and I. That's the trio. Me, myself, and I, and nobody else. TikTok, the game's locked. Nobody else can play, right? <laughs> and we don't even want to confess it to God because, well, I'm not going to tell God. <laughs> Isn't that silly? He knows you inside and out. He knows what you're going to do before you do it. He knows every thought that comes out of your head. And we're, we think that we can hide from God. We think that we, <laughs> Psalm 139, listen to what David said. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, my fears, all these things. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, God loves you enough this morning to reveal that sin that you have been washing over, that sin that you've been compromising, that sin that you say, well, you know, it's, sometimes it's just a sin of omission, church. We think it's always about commission or committing a sin. Sometimes it's just not doing what God's called you to do. There's so many things that you can call sin, but you know the, the basic, the, basically what God wants you to do is walk in faith, not in fear, not in anxiety. See, a lot of people don't like to admit it, but sin, but fear is, in, in most cases, it's sin. Anxiety is sin. You know why? Because that's doubt and unbelief. And doubt and unbelief are what? Sin. We just call it what it is. Quit trying to put a nice, smooth, nice little label on it. Because when you're not walking in faith, you're walking in the opposite of. And what does God call us to be? He says, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So you're not pleasing God when you're walking in fear, in doubt and unbelief. And David knows that. And he said, thank you, Lord, for revealing my sins. He said, now that you've revealed them to me, I can watch, walk in, in joy and in gladness. And now you can blot them out from me. You know, a lot, we're a lot like vehicles. I used to be a car dealer. And, and we'd take care of cars and, you know, you have to get the car ready to sell. And, you know, how many of you ever had your car detailed? I mean, you've been, it's been dirty. And, man, you just, it's, just, it's ugly. And you just, well, I'm going to go get my car detailed. And you go get it detailed. And, yes, a real, a, 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 a great detail is a detail top and bottom inside and out. That's the motor, too. I mean, usually the guys that do de detail work and they're really good at it, they want to go pop that hood and let you see that engine. Wow, there's no oil on it anymore. That thing's shining. The motor's clean. You know, I don't really care because I keep the, the hood over on my car. And, and so, I but did you know you can have it shined there? You can have the motor cleaned up, the trunk cleaned out. To take up your floor mat, you know, where you've got all the gum and the french fries and stuff. Get all that cleaned up and make it look like new. But if you haven't changed your oil and your filter in 50,000 miles, there's going to be a breakdown. 
See, God wants the inside of you renewed. He wants the inside of you restored because he knows that whatever it looks like on the outside, it's, it's going to have to start here first. You can fake it. You can fake it all day long. You can look good. You can put on the right clothes, wear the right kind of shoes, the right kind of cologne, and you can walk in here and talk the religious talk. How you doing, brother? God bless you. Hallelujah. Bless you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And then you walk out the door and you talk to your parent and your, your, your children and your wife and there ain't no hallelujahs and amens. You stupid. And you say, brother, hallelujah, brother. I got this. Yeah, me and Jesus, we're tired. We got this. Shut up, woman. Mm. How are your toes right now? God loves you enough to reveal your sin to you. That will lead you to forgiveness. Verse 10. I remember memorizing this verse a long time ago, creating me a clean heart of God and renew. The, the version I had was renew a right spirit within me. Let me read it. Create. That word create means to make new. Say make new. Make new. See, his heart, man, it was damaged what he had done had a man killed he put him on the front lines and told the rest of the army to back off at the signal so he would be by himself and he was facing all these people he was basically murdered and David was okay with that and he says create some of you have sinned and you, you need a new heart today well, I can tell you, I, I, my God can give you a transplant. Make, create, make, make, and make, give me a new, clean heart, Lord, oh God. And, and then he says, and renew. Say renew. Renew a steadfast, that's a firm spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You know, the, the second point, the third point is to be renewed or renewal. And in the Old Testament, the, the, the Holy Spirit did something different in the, whole, in the Old Testament versus the New. In the Old Testament, God would send the Holy Spirit and He would light on people or, or fill people up and then He would take Him away. And he would go to, it was like an, a special dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And even up until the time of Pentecost, it was still that way. Even when He sent out the, the 72 or the 12, it was a special dispensation of the Holy Spirit because, yet he, because He says He has not yet died. And he, he hasn't breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And He said, when you go to wait on Pentecost, go wait in the upper room. He said, then the Holy Spirit will come upon you with power. And so when He said, Joel prophesied that the Holy Spirit would be given to all people, all flesh. And, and that all flesh means all who will receive Him. All who receive him. So there was a special. He said, look, he said, I know you took the Holy Spirit away from Saul. God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I know I messed up. Please don't take him away from me. I'm so glad when the Holy Spirit came into me that God's promises are yes and amen. He will never leave me or forsake me. Never, ever, ever, ever. Promises are yes and amen. His promises are true. He's come to abide in us. But listen, you've got a choice what you do with Holy Spirit within you. Did you realize that? I remember Mary Lou and I, when we got baptized in the Holy Spirit when we were 47, we thought, well, that's, that's, 
We got it all. <laughs> We're good to go now. We just, you know, we, we, we can't even do anything wrong because the Holy Spirit's in us. Well, that was just so wrong to think that. Oh, we got the power now. See, we just, we just felt like there was that level that we had missed and we knew other people and, and that were walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. We thought, well, we get that, we're good to go. But did you know something? We still have to yield. We still have to surrender every day. It's just not a one-time fix-it-all. It's not like that pill you pop in and it's good for eternity. And he lives in you, but David already knew that. David had the Holy Spirit, and he said, Man, don't take him away from me. God, I know I really messed up, and I'm repenting now, but please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Ephesians 5.15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly. Say walk circumspectly. That means walk according to the will of God. Walk with Him. Do what He says to do. Walk in His commandments. Walk in His truth. He says, walk circumspectly, circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Would you all agree that the days are evil? Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine. Don't be drunk with wine. In which is dissipation. You know what dissipation means? Stupidity. Do my Italian voice. It's a stupidity. <laughs> oh, there's nothing wrong with a little, you know, get a little tipsy. It's stupidity. Oh, I'm just a little, I'm just a little, what, what's the word before drunk? It's a buzz. I'm just a little buzz. That's stupidity. Get in your car, get pulled over by a cop when you're buzzed. He will tell you, that was stupidity. You're going to jail. Okay? He says, do not be drunk with wine. And, and I know people like, oh, you know, I'm okay with a little drink. I'm telling you, I'll, I'll just tell you, and I've told you this before, I don't see any value in alcohol at all. Amen. That's all I'm going to say about that. I know the Bible doesn't say you can't drink alcohol. It just says don't be drunk. Some of you don't know what that point is. So if you don't know where that point is, don't do it. Honey, you're drunk. I'm not either. I'm good to go. Yes. Don't be drunk with wine but, or stupid, but be filled with the Spirit, okay? That word means to be a continual filling of the Spirit. And I don't believe, I know Bill Johnson says that cute little thing because we leak. I, I don't believe that. I believe he comes in and he fills us. But I do know that when Jesus prayed for people, he said he could feel the power leave him. But Holy Spirit didn't leave him, but the power would leave him. And, and so we have to stay that, we have to be very careful in our walk with the Lord to stay connected to him. And listen, when you stay connected to him, when you abide in him, when you walk in constant surrender and thanksgiving and submission and obedience, then he says, then you can speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. See, that's worship. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit and then start singing to the Lord. Start worshiping the Lord. Bring those songs. Bring those hymns. Come together in Jesus' name and celebrate me. Making melody in your heart. To the, I like that. Making melody in your heart. In my heart there rings a melody. I don't even think there's a song with the word melody in it anymore. It's a good word. Giving thanks. How often? Always for all the things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. He's talking about, he's even talking about corporately. It helps us to stay filled with the Spirit. 
It helps us to walk in the Spirit. It helps us when we stay together and we encourage one another in the Spirit. We pray for one another in the Spirit. Verse 12. Restore to me the joy. Say restore. restore. The joy. And most people misquote this verse. They say, in my salvation, it didn't say that. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. See, salvation comes from him. It's a gift, but it's, he comes from him. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. The number four R is restoration. Say restoration. restoration. See, David had lost not his salvation, but the joy of, his, of the salvation, of, of God's salvation. Anybody know what he's talking about? You've lost the joy. See, I think there's people here this morning, you've lost the joy of your salvation. What God has done in your life, the gift that he has given you, you've lost the joy of it. You know, that's something actually you can actually see on people. You can hear it out of their voice. The joy is gone. The, 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 the step, that, that quick step, that, that, that joy in that walk. You know, that lightness in them. That, man, that, because that, so many Christians are like, Man, I've been beat down by the devil today. And I'm just so, I don't know what I'm going to do. And they've lost the joy of their salvation. See, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'll say this, and I will not back up on it. Christians should be the happiest people, the most joyful people in the, in the world. And I know happiness and joy are not exactly the same thing. But he says in all, in all of the Beatitudes, it's happy, blessed. He's, that word blessed means happy. And, and, but when we come to that place of joy, I think joy surpasses happy. Because happy kind of depends on circumstances. Joy is deep within you. You may not laugh and have joy, you, but you'll have the peace that passes understanding. You'll walk through situations where you'll go, I know God, you got this. I know God. It doesn't mean you won't cry. It doesn't mean you won't, it won't, doesn't mean you won't have a bad day. But you still, at the end of the day, you've got joy. When you lay head down at night, you know God's got me. God's got this. You lose a loved one. God's got this. God's got them. You know, you, you, lose, you lose things. Things are taken away from you. And you can either go, oh, God, why me? Or you say, God, you got this. I know I'm, the, I'm, I'm walking in the joy. I'm going to celebrate whatever I'm going on in my life. That kind of goes back to praise him at all times. In all things, give thanks. He said that for a reason because he wants us to show the world that we're different. We are the light of the world, Jesus said. We are the salt of the world. And the, and the world needs to see Christians walking in joy and in love and in peace and in goodness and integrity and great character. The world needs to see Christians living like that. It doesn't mean to be fake. It just means to have faith. Remember my saying, don't fake it till you make it, faith it till you make it. Faith it till you make it. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes you may be in the trenches, but faith has got to rise up in the child of God. Restoration. Restoration. It's when your guilt is turned into joy. Your grief is turned into laughter. How many of you need a fresh start with, start with Jesus this morning? Because he is the God of fresh starts. Verse 13, David says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. That word converted can also be restored. Sinners can be restored to you. The fifth R is recompense. Recompense. Say recompense. 
Recompense means to make amends to someone for loss or harm suffered. No props. Okay. Recompense. We heard this message by Dave Reaver in Emory Brooklyn Tabernacle. Recompense is taking the stick that the devil beat you up with, taking it out of his hand, and begin to whack him with it. Yeah, we got a stick. Woo! Who wants to be the devil? Who wants to be the devil? You know, recompense is when you used to be beat up. You know, you lived a life of dread, a life of loss, a life of, a life of sin. And you get Jesus, he shows up, and it's like he takes the stick out of the devil's hands and says, here, give it a whack. Give him a whack. Give him a whack. Knock his demon. Pew. But you know how you do that? If you were an addict, you take that freedom from the addiction, and you take somebody else who's an addict, and you lead them to Jesus and they get free of that addiction. Bam! Ooh. That's how you do it. Whatever it is in your life that you are a failure at and God's redeemed you from it and he's restored you from it, then the way you beat the devil up with that stick that he was beating you up with is you begin to go after what God's put in your heart and to see people healed, set free, restored, delivered, sanctified, purified, justified into the presence of God. That's how you do it. So he'll tuck his tail between his legs and run off, you know? Get out of here. You have no place here. But that's how you do it. I like that stick. Yeah. I'm going to have to start just bringing the stick with me. I'll preach with a stick. I need a bigger stick, though. I need a like a Bruce Lee stick. You see, David... David, when he was in his sin, he probably wasn't a very good teacher. Let me tell you about purity. Uh, oh, wait, that's right. I, I had an affair. Let me teach you about loving your neighbor. Ooh, I had a man killed. See, you can't, you can't do that. You can't teach. You can't witness. You can't do any of these things when you're holding on to that junk. And if you try, it ain't going to work. That's why I said we have a great responsibility as teachers because God's looking at us. He's, he's saying, look, and Harold, if you're going to get up and preach on that, you better get cleaned up from that before you preach on it. Amen. See, people, why? Is that sermon? That, every sermon applies to me. Every sermon should apply to me because I, have, I do fall short. I am not Mr. Perfect, even though my wife thinks I am. <laughs> oh, she's, she's not agreeing. Not even with that statement. Nah, he's not perfect. Does that make sense, though, when he said that? I, I want to teach. I want to do what I'm supposed to do. Listen, you can't do what you're supposed to do in the kingdom of God if you're going to keep holding on to that secret sin. The thing that God says, ah, oh, you've got to get rid of you got to deal with that. I love that 
When God said what the enemy meant for bad, he could, God could turn it for good. You know, and ultimately it's going to be turned for his glory. I'm going to ask you before we move on. I'm almost done. That means nothing. I know y'all know that. When I say I'm almost done. I want, I want you to really think about this. Where has God pulled you out? What pit did he pull you out of? And he's going to show you today how you're going to help pull somebody else out of the same kind of pit. Okay? You know why? Because you know what that's like more than anybody else. I used to go into the jail when I was a chaplain there, assistant chaplain. And um, guys would tell me their story about their addiction. I said, man, I, I can't identify with you. I'm glad I can't, but I couldn't. But I know somebody who could. And, you know, I would bring in people that, that had that, and God had redeemed them from it and rescued them from it. And they, they could relate. I couldn't relate in that way. I could give them Jesus, and that was, that's enough. But I couldn't relate to them, get on there. So you can relate to people I can't relate to. You can relate to people that my wife can't relate to because of what you've been through. So when, we, when, I, when I talk to people about their marriage, I can relate to them when it talks about separation because my wife and I were separated. I know what that feeling is like. I know what that heartache is like. So I can, but I can, you know what I can do in the process? I can give them hope because I know what God did in my marriage. I know what God did for us. I know the, the plan and purpose God had for us. And if we would allowed the enemy to win that battle, we wouldn't be here today. And I don't know where y'all would be. I'm sure you'd be some other good church. But I don't know where we would be. Uh, we were going to the church of God. I remember she said, oh, you'd probably just marry your little sweet little church of God woman and play the piano. And you'd be preaching in the church of God about 50 people. And No, no, probably not. Isn't that funny? If you go back and kind of figure out where you'd be, if except, except for Jesus. I, I loved it when, when, when Rose said, but God. Say, but God. So whatever your situation is, just say, but God. He can step in right now and do some incredible. Verse, verse 14. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. I was looking up that, I asked Alexa this morning, where the, that term, I do talk to her, Alexa. She's, she's very sweet. And uh, I said, where did that term red-handed, caught red-handed comes from? And she said, well, it came from in some Scottish trial. Somebody was caught murdering somebody, and that means caught red-handed means with blood on your hands. And so it kind of evolved over the centuries to mean if you've been caught in the act of something. But this, it was called. But see, he said, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. He didn't talk about his affair. He didn't talk about Bathsheba's adult. He, you know, the thing that weighed the heaviest on him was having Uriah, her husband, killed. He said, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. It just weighed so heavy on him. He said, deliver me from the guilt. How many of you know, some of you right now, you've got guilt on you. And you just say, God, deliver me from the guilt of whatever. Fill in the blank. The God of my salvation. Oh, God, the God of my salvation. And then he goes into this, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. He goes back into worship. Oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. 
For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are one. A broken spirit. Honesty, honesty before God. Brokenness before God. A broken and a contrite heart. These, oh God, you will not despise. See, God doesn't want you to come up here and say, look at me. I'm so good. God, forgive me of all my sins. No, he wants you. When you come before him, he, you, we come before him with a repentant heart. With sorrow in our heart. See, we don't get, we're not sorry for our sins anymore. We're sorry for somebody else's sin. Oh, look what they did. God, why don't you do something to them? And he said, I've got to do something to you first. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow. And that brings us to that place of worship. The sixth point is reverence. See, he came from that place of guilt and all these things. And God had washed him whiter than snow. He had delivered him from that blood guilt. All these things. And he said, now I can worship you. Now I can understand. I revere you, Lord. I respect you, Lord. You stuck with me through all of this stuff that I did. You did not let go of me. You saved me. You restored the joy of your salvation in my heart. I'm a new man. I've got a clean heart. I've got a new heart today. Remember when God gave you that new heart? That new heart. Y'all remember that? That old, dirty, ugly heart. He just, like, out in, like Indiana Jones, you know, just take it out. And he put a new one in there. Put a new heart. A heart of flesh where there was a heart of stone. Now you begin to feel again. You begin to love again. You begin to, you begin to praise God for that new heart. And he's made you new reverence for God man we've lost that in many of our churches today we just kind of come and go I hope the preacher does some really cool stuff I hope they have a great job I hope that we, we want somebody to impress us and God said no I want you to impress me I want you to worship me he says y'all remember the story of the woman in Luke 7 Jesus was invited to this man Simon's house and they were going to feed him. They liked the celebrity thing. I like that. I want to drop a name. Jesus is coming over. Y'all know that guy's going around healing people. He's not coming to my house. Jesus is sitting there and a woman comes up. Gets this expensive oil worth about a year's wages and breaks the top off of it and begins to pour it over him. Then she begins to weep. And she kneels down at his feet and his, her tears are washing his feet. Then she takes her hair and lets it down in public where she wasn't supposed to. She wasn't even supposed to be in the room. She starts wiping his feet with her hair and kissing his feet. Indignant Pharisees, righteous, holier than thou people, like the people that wanted to stone the woman. They called Jesus out on it. How can you let her do that to you? And in verse 41, he says. Let me tell you a story, Simon. There was, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors, and one had five, owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. That's a good answer, right? Simon answered, and he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I love that. He said, Do you see this woman? We've got to learn to start seeing people around us. They didn't see her. 
All they saw was her, her, her faults. They didn't see her. They didn't see her heart. Jesus said, did you see this woman? Simon, did you, you, you even see who's here? Did you even see what she's doing? I entered your house. You gave me no water from my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, listen to this first church. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. He told the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. I don't see, where are your, where, where are your accusers? Lord, I don't see any, then I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. He was the, he, God is the God that restores. The God's the God to give us another chance to walk this thing out called Christianity. Some of you have been forgiven so much and you've lived terrible lives and men you understand what it is when you say i love jesus and i'm not going to care what people think about how i worship i'm not going to care like rose up here dancing over the stage i love that rose i love that because that wouldn't that wasn't drama that was sincerity of her heart that she's been set free and that's where worship comes from restoration and worship they go hand in hand when you recognize what God has done in your life and you will shout for joy, you will act a fool, you will dance in the streets like King David did with a loincloth on and his wife is going, oh, I can't believe he's doing that in public. <laughs> Finally, verse 18. Do good in your good pleasure design. This is David actually telling God. Do good in your good pleasure design. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. See, the sacrifices didn't stop. Jesus had not come yet. He hadn't, he hadn't done away with the law. They were still doing the sacrifices. But David said, look, if you're going to live a life this way, don't go sacrifice. You remember? That's what Saul wanted to do. Saul said, well, I've, I've kept the best lambs and I've kept the best sheep and we're the oxen and we've, sac we've done that to sacrifice them to the Lord. And, and Saul said, well, to obey is better than sacrifice, Saul. And, and then basically David's saying the same thing here. And so when, when he's repented, he says, God, you can do this now. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. Then with, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Here's the, the last thing is restitution. Say restitution. A lot of people don't like that word. That means giving back what you took. All right? It's a restoration of something lost or stolen. So what David is saying in this, in this process, in these last two verses, is that we have done, I've done what was commanded to me. I've done what I was supposed to do. I have I have repented i've asked you to forgive me to wash me I, I'm, re I'm 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 starting over god because you're giving me a new start and now because you're giving me a new start i can start teaching transgressors i can start pointing people to god he said now god uh, the sacrifices they can now we can go before the temple with a clean heart with a pure heart when we offer our sacrifices but what does that look like for us today 
What does that look like? What does restitution look like for the Christian today? Listen, restitution can be simply forgiving someone or asking them to forgive you of your sin or whatever you've done against them. That can can be restitution. Did you know that that restoration comes from restitution? When you go back to that person that you've wronged, that you've hurt, that you committed adultery with, or they committed adultery, or, or you had an affair with, you can go back and say, listen, I am so sorry. Listen, you, some of you need to go talk to your kids and say, forgive me for being a bad mom or a bad dad and doing what I shouldn't have done. And I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? A lot of parents don't even want to do that, but you need to do that. Reconcile with your children. Don't, don't give them that, that, that hole, that stronghold. Well, you don't know my mom and daddy, what they did, how they did this and they did that. No, you need to go to your children. You need to say, I, I'm so sorry. God has forgiven me. Would you please forgive me? They may not. They may. It doesn't matter. But you've got to go and do something. It's called restitution. There's a scripture that says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift. Don't, don't say, oh, oh, here's my gift, God. Oh, take it. And he says, no, go back and make something right before you bring your gift. Then your gift will count. God didn't need your tithe. He needs your heart. Some of you are begrudging. Hey, pastor, I gave my tithe. You know what? I don't give a rip. God is the one. He wants your heart first. It's not about what you look like and how much money you give. He wants your heart first. When you get, when you get your heart, you'll write the check. You won't say, oh, God, but pastor, look at what I gave. I, you know, he's going to say, okay, there's your glory. There's your, there's your good. There's your glory. Ooh, boy. I don't know what people give. I don't want to know what people give. I don't even want the hint of the fact that, oh, now I can, oh, pastor's going to treat me nice because I gave more money. Ain't going to happen. You write a check for $100,000 today, which is okay. (laughs) But you will not get preferential treatment from me or my wife. We will love you just like we love anybody else. Well, maybe $100,000 will love you a little more. No, I don't know. We might take you out for a hot dog at Freddy's. I don't you know. But you hear what I'm saying? That's, that, that's our heart. That's our heart. That's, I think that's God's heart. He wants you to just love him and be obedient to him. But he says, before you give a gift, be reconciled. Make restitution with your brother. You know, I always used to read that scripture and go, well, man, I've got, my brother's got something. I've got something against my brother. I need to go. No, it's if your brother has something against you. Not even if you have something against them. He said, that means you know that they have something against you. Right? Would y'all stand and have the, the ministry team at the front?